0: Thank you for downloading the Aging Matters podcast. To find out more about how Transitions Life Care is providing care and comfort for life's changing needs, visit transitionslifecare.org.
1: This is Aging Matters, care and comfort that surrounds you on News Radio 680 WPTF. 60 minutes devoted to giving you all the information you need when caring for a loved one with Nicole Cleggett and Jason Kong.
2: Welcome to Aging Matters, care and comfort that surrounds you, a service of Transitions Life Care. It's your life, your care on News Radio 680 WPTF. Good Saturday evening to you. Jason Kong here with Nicole Cleggett representing Transitions Life Care and Transitions Guiding Lights and Nicole, we're uh, keeping our fingers crossed. We're, we're all in separate locations this, uh, this evening. So how are you doing so far?
0: You know, I'm doing okay. Uh, this social distancing is, or, or now they're trying to rename it physical distancing, um, has definitely been uh, a new experience for me and I know for all the listeners as well. So we're all just trying to muddle through and get together and, and do this the best way that we can.
2: Yeah, we're going to get through it. And, you know, it's a challenge for everyone, our listeners and and even us here at WPTF. We're trying our best to get through it. But, hey, we, we've got to do our part and we've got to make sure that everyone's staying safe. And, you know, as this uh, coronavirus situation continues to progress, it's obviously going to be the subject of our program this evening, and we've brought on Aubrey Ferre, who's a clinical manager with Wake Research, and we're going to be talking about how their organization is dealing with this. Aubrey, thank you so much for joining us this evening.
3: Thank you. I do appreciate the invite and look forward to discussing that matter.
0: It's very interesting. we live in, in a very resource-rich area with the plethora of academic medical institutions, uh, opportunities for research, so on and so forth. So an organization such as yours is very, very important and crucial for getting the development uh, of, of the drugs that are being created in our area approved, and, and, and oftentimes you're seeking folks from the community to actually go on some of those clinical trials, correct?
3: You're absolutely correct, Um, and this platform was very important to us because we feel that elderly patients are poorly represented in clinical trials as a whole, and I think you'll find that as a whole uh, within the industry. So we want to kind of dispel some myths about clinical trials, kind of set the record straight as to what protections are in place, and really, uh, as you've already stated, the importance of clinical trials, especially for the future of medicine. So Uh, You've kind of already highlighted that, but we definitely want to get in depth about what's in place and what we all can do to move forward.
0: I definitely agree. And, you know, I, I, I've i heard somebody speak once of a physician and, you know, we really can't use a broad brush with the medications that we take uh, and just assume just because a 35-year-old has the same reaction to the, a certain medication, it doesn't mean that a 5-year-old will. A 5-year-old is not a tiny adult, nor does it mean an 80-year-old will. I have a, a friend of mine who's a geriatric pharmacist and she sometimes will come on air and talk about the fact that, you know, medication medications that we took in our 30s and 40s, we continue to take certain ones in our 80s and 90s, we may experience side effects and, and just because of our body metabolizes things differently. And it may actually, at, at some times, depending on the medication, make us more at risk for falls or even cognitive loss and things of that nature. So I really appreciate the fact that you're trying to really look at some of the medications that folks uh, potentially can take and, and have, you know, different age groups represented.
3: Yeah, you're right on the money. Um, it's important for clinical trials to have participants of different ages, sex, race, and ethnicity. Otherwise, your results are, are not going to be varied. Uh, they're going to be skewed, and you're going to find drugs that are then pulled off of the market because they determine that it may not be safe in a certain population or may affect a certain population differently. Uh, so so again, we're in full agreement that we need to really widen the brush or spectrum of of patients that are involved in clinical trials because that's who it's going to affect ultimately.
0: You know, something I, I've noticed and you know, which has been a change, I think, on TV in the last 10 or so years is suddenly medications are being marketed broadly to the entire population versus just to the physician. But I'll tell you one thing, it seems like about 30% of the commercial is listing all the potential side effects that you can, <laughs> that you can experience that would might make you scared to take any type of medication for sure. I think it's important to note, though, um, I'm somewhat familiar with... With how clinical trials work, uh, that you know every single symptom that a person experiences when they're taking a drug is listed. So there may be things that people would have experienced otherwise that have to be listed uh, because they were on a clinical trial. Is that correct?
3: Uh, that's very true. And even when you you know you see that list, you have to take it with somewhat of a grain of salt because everyone responds to drugs differently. Of course, you want to pay close attention to trends. So multiple patients experiencing the same, t- same thing, but anything that one patient experiences during the clinical trial, which is often tested in thousands of patients, is going to be recorded. It can't be overlooked. Uh, so that's why it's really important to work with your physician to report your symptoms. That's really important that aftermarket surveillance continues, uh, so that's the kind of study that's done after the drug is approved, where the pharmaceutical company is held responsible to continue collecting data as far as side effects. So uh, it's not all inclusive, uh, but you definitely have to, you know, be cautious when accepting these drugs, being wary uh, that everyone does respond to medication differently.
0: So talk to us a little bit about what mechanisms are put in place when you're on a clinical trial. I mean, are these things that are basically deemed probably safe for human beings to try, or is this something super risky when somebody signs up?
3: That's a a great question, uh, and there's certainly a lot to consider when you're going to join a clinical trial. So uh, I do want to put out somewhat of a map to to guide individuals uh, as to their thought process when they're looking at a clinical trial. Clinical trials come in phases. Long before the drug is tested in humans, the biotech, pharmaceutical, hospital, doctor, whoever the person responsible for the manufacturing of that drug or development of it has to perform what we call preclinical trials. Now, oftentimes, uh, these are studies conducted in vitro, as well as animal studies. Um, you know, uh, of course, there's agencies that, that have ethical uh, bearing on that, but more or less, the FDA's position is uh, our lives, the human life is worth more, and so it's important that we test these drugs and animals to get a sense of how safe the drug is. And in many cases, uh, their physiological um, makeup is similar. And so after the drug is proven reasonably safe in animals, that data is then presented to the FDA, and the FDA has 30 days to respond as to whether or not that clinical trial can move forward. But not only the data that's collected in preclinical trial, but also the protocol for these human trials. And in that protocol, it has to detail uh, every mechanism in place to keep the patient safe and to monitor their health. Uh, things like safety labs, chemistry, hematology, blood pressure, um, electrocardiograms, uh, toxicology studies. All of these things are done often in phase one studies. So that's the first study in humans where you're you're looking very closely for the safety and tolerability of the drug. Uh, that's actually my background in research. I do. F- Primarily, phase one studies. I I do all studies, phase one through four, but primarily we specialize in phase one at my particular location. Wake Reese has has multiple locations in the nation. Uh, And we're really looking for the safety of the drug. And we have people that are trained um, in reacting to emergencies. I'm a paramedic, but we have nurses and doctors that are trained specifically uh, to keep the patient safe at all times during the clinical trial. In addition to that, Patients have to be consented. In other words, they have everything that I just spoke about, the preclinical data what the results were, uh, all the data that was gathered from maybe prior studies has to be presented to that patient prior to them joining the clinical trial, no matter what phase it is. And that way they're aware of the background of the drug. They're aware of what other patients may have experienced and reported. Uh, they're aware of what the potential risk may be how much they're compensated for their time and travel, uh, whether or not we have permission to inform their primary care physician that they're per- participating or their specialist. And so that's a very important document for the patient to review, whether on site or taking home, discuss it with your loved ones so that they make an informed decision. And then the later phases, phase two, phase three, now you're fine tuning the dose of the medication. You're still collecting adverse events or potential side effects, but now you're really trying to Prove how effective the drug is. Uh, how effective it is more so than other drugs that are on the market, um, and making sure it's meeting its endpoint goal. That's and,
0: that's very that's very very interesting. And what I would love oh, to do is yeah. is. After the commercial break, kind of talk a little bit about that, specifically as it relates to a lot of chatter in the news about, you know, how long is it going to take to get medications approved for uh, the coronavirus potentially and even a vaccine and sort of what that looks like when you hear the words like fast tracking and things of that nature.
2: We'll yes, explore yes. that conversation further. We've got Aubrey Ferre here on the line. He is a clinical manager with Wake Research, and we're talking all about clinical trials. And we'll continue our conversation right after this. You're listening to Aging Matters: Care and Comfort That Surrounds You, a service of Transitions Life Care. It's your life, your care on News Radio 680 WPTF.
1: This is Aging Matters: Care and Comfort That Surrounds You on News Radio 680 WPTF. Joined by Nicole Cleggett from Transitions Guiding Lights. Here's your host, Jason Kong. Welcome back to Aging
2: Matters, care and comfort that surrounds you, a service of Transitions Life Care. It's your life, your care on News Radio 680 WPTF. Jason Kong here with Nicole Claggett. I say here, uh, we're, we're <laughs> on the radio right now, but we're not actually in the same room together. The magic of technology, we're doing this program remotely as we practice uh, social or physical distancing, however you want to refer to it. And uh, we've got Aubrey Ferrey on the line with us. He is a clinical manager with R- Wake Research, and we're talking all about uh, clinical trials, Nicole, and we're having a, a fascinating conversation so far.
0: Yeah, I, you know, I find this incredibly interesting and timely because we hear a lot of chatter in the national news about... You know, finding a vaccine and fast tracking a vaccine and finding potential drugs that may actually be able to help folks with the symptoms of the virus and fast tracking that. And so I'm just kind of wondering uh, generally speaking, I'm not asking you to speak specifically related to COVID 19, but kind of what do those words mean and what is sort of that normal process looking like for when, you know, the FDA really feels like they want to make a drug available perhaps a little bit sooner than they might have necessarily done so in the past.
3: Yeah, absolutely. Well, to start with, to to kind of put it in relative view here, a normal clinical development process of a new drug typically ranges from 2 to 10 years with an average of 5.
0: Wow.
3: That puts in perspective uh, what pharmaceutical companies have to go through because of the regulatory um, law that's in place, which is in place for good reason. However, when the drug is meeting the need of a serious life-threatening disease or unmet medical need, then the FDA can designate it for fast track. Now, what that means as far as timeline clearly depends on the drug or the vaccine and what hurdles need to be overcome in its development. Um, I think the most recent uh, poll that I saw uh, from scientists was saying 18 months, uh, whether or not that will be shortened or not um, is is left to be t- left to be seen because this is something that the United States has never seen before, right? Uh, yeah. In, in close to a years. so uh, this is the first time we're we're seeing this kind of fast track on something this scale um, in the presence of modern medicine and in, in modern development. Uh, so there's a lot to to be learned here as far as the actual timeline of this development. Uh, I'm confident that we'll see something. Hopefully. By the end of this year, but it, it'll have to be uh, shown and proven.
0: So, I guess you know, fast tracking though, does that make it a little bit more risky, or does that just mean you know more resources and time are put into it, and they're able to get more patients through faster? Through all, I mean, I guess what I what I'm asking is, are all the rigors that are normally a drug is normally put through, would they be put through in an instance like this, or would some things be bypassed potentially?
3: So, so earlier I had mentioned that. Uh, the FDA has certain review periods. Um, so, when an IND or investigational new drug is submitted, again, the FDA has 30 mm-hmm. days. Um, at the end of a phase three trial with a new drug application, an NDA, the FDA has now 180 days. Well, during those processes, as well as process throughout the development, the FDA is basically going to make it a priority. They're going to give that study their absolute priority. And they're going to work with that pharmaceutical company directly to help prioritize and cut through some of the red tape, more or less. So basically, you don't Um, have to wait for.
0: So basically, what you're saying is, is yeah, it's still going to be going through the rigors. It's just that it doesn't, it it doesn't sort of have to wait in line. It gets bumped ahead of other drugs potentially that might be in line before it.
3: Exactly. Exactly. There's no. There should be no anxiety or fear uh, that the drug is going to be less safe or less effective because of it being fast tracked. It's just an approach uh, the FDA is taking to prioritize
0: that drug. That makes a lot of sense. So, yeah, I mean, I know there's a lot of fear and panic out there. And I, I, in my mind, I don't, I don't know this, t- you know, to be a fact, but I, you know, I'm, I'm guessing that we're all kind of hoping that this social distancing while it's happening during this time, it gives some of these manufacturers more time to test and get prepared so that ultimately we have less serious illness and less loss of life in this country and frankly around the world.
3: That is absolutely the goal, um, and, and I'm pleased to see the, the amount of players that are, are trying to come up with a solution for this. Uh, at first, I was kind of wary. A lot of pharmaceuticals that we work I won't name anyone, but a lot that mm-hmm. we work with um, that have a big presence in vaccines uh, hadn't said something early on, but as the weeks were rolling, they eventually unveiled what their plan and, and contribution to this problem is. So uh, I'm very pleased with not only how the government, but also the industry is responding to this. And I think the public should be as well, but the important part is now that this is available, we have to do our part as a community. So whether you're someone that is healthy, whether you're someone that's been exposed to COVID-19 or someone that is recovering or dealing with it currently, um, it's really important that they communicate with their care provider Uh, that they would be willing to get involved with clinical trial, or at least consider it, uh, and to see if that study is best for them. Because again, if we don't have volunteers that get involved, then no matter what uh, these pharmaceutical companies or the government does, uh, we're certainly not going to force anyone to be a volunteer. So we have to willingly as a community step up uh, and volunteer for these tests.
0: That sounds wonderful. So I guess, Wondering from you, you know, I know this is sort of a strange time and, and I'm not even sure, you know, sort of how this is impacting Wake research right now. Are you still able to, generally speaking, for all of your drug studies, help people or are things sort of on hold right now? How does all that work?
3: Yeah, uh, absolutely. So we are still operating. Um, and I think I touched on that earlier that I, you know, do phase one trials, uh as this unveiled itself, we had patients that were currently in studies, so those patients still need to be monitored closely uh, since they were given investigational product. Uh, as far as the industry as a whole, a lot of studies have been put on hold, which um, was necessary, but just like every other industry that's being impacted, and certainly not advantageous. Uh, you know, one of the things I was hoping to talk about today was Alzheimer's research, Parkinson's research, obviously, these are conditions that directly affect the elderly population primarily. And so for as long as those studies are on hold, we're further away from a solution to those problems. And so it is, it is impacting the industry. A lot of studies are being put on hold. Uh, patients that are currently enrolled are being monitored very closely. Uh, we're using virtual visits and things of that nature uh, to offset some of the risk. Uh, but nonetheless, uh, we are hurting because you know, any, any lack of advancement uh, is straining on the sponsor, uh, not just financially, uh, but the development process. These studies have time limits, and it's a race to get better treatment to the public.
0: So it sounds like this is really impacting, you know, the future of, of medications. It's just worldwide in general during this sort of pause in, in, in the world that we're experiencing right now.
3: Yeah, it's a domino effect. You know, it's, it's it's true that we have to focus on this pandemic. That's absolutely true. Uh, but we have to keep in mind that in the background, these other trials are suffering. Um, again, we have to focus on the pandemic, but we want to do everything in our power, whether it's by means of virtual visits, sending the medication to the patient's home, uh, maybe doing home visits. Uh, if the situation is safe, you know, we're trying to do everything that we can to adapt to th- this new Um, Standard as far as clinical trials, and we do believe it is going to be a new standard. This has opened the eyes up to the industry that we really need to move forward with things like electronic consent, electronic regulatory, virtual visits, uh, virtual auditing. You know, we need to get in touch with that digital aspect of things so that we can continue to function and run uh, effectively.
0: So if folks want more information about how to get involved with a clinical trial in the future, how would they go ahead and do that, Aubrey?
3: Two two, uh, avenues that I'll pinpoint. One is our website, um, weightclinical.com. We very well may have a site near your location uh, since we're national. Uh, But in addition to that, you you also definitely want to check clinicaltrials.gov. Clinicaltrials.gov is going to list every single clinical trial being conducted in the united states and sometimes abroad um even if you type in covid19 you'll see tests that are being or centers that are been approved to to run testing or research studies for vaccines and whatnot um or even prophylactic treatments and so clinicaltrials.gov is a great resource uh, whether it's for covid vaccine or, or any type of ailment that you're dealing with so you know what's going on in your area and abroad
2: Thank you so much, Aubrey Ferre, clinical manager with Wake Research, those two websites that he gave out, wakeclinical.com and clinicaltrials.gov. A quick break and back with more. You are listening to Aging Matters, care and comfort that surrounds you, a service of Transitions Life Care to Life Your Care on News Radio 680 WPTF.
1: This is Aging Matters, care and comfort that surrounds you on News Radio 680 WPTF. With your hosts, Nicole Cleggett and Jason Kong. You are listening to Aging Matters,
2: care and comfort that surrounds you, a service of Transitions Life Care. It's your life, your care on News Radio 680 WPTF. You can find more about Transitions Life Care online at transitionslifecare.org. Jason Kong here with Nicole Cleggett and Nicole Uh, We've we've brought on the big dog here. We've got John Toma, the CEO of Transitions Life Care here to join us. And we're going to be talking about what community based care is doing to, um, you know, help out and and protect those as we deal with COVID-19. And it's it's just impacting all of our lives. John, thank you so much for taking the time to join us this evening.
4: You're welcome, Jason. Great to be here. Thank you for the opportunity.
0: So, John, I I, I don't want to take up too much of your time. I know that you are trying to lead an, an army of healthcare workers during this pandemic, and I know everyone is busy preparing for the impending and most feared surge of cases here in this area. Uh, but I know there's a there's a really big question that is on a lot of people's minds, uh, which is relating to not just what the hospitals are doing, but what are community based organizations such as so, uh, such as Transitions Life Care doing to help mitigate. The risk for the patients that they are serving in the community with this pandemic all around us?
4: Yes, that's a great question. And uh, we have amazing healthcare workers out in the community every day, Nicole. Uh, Over 500 uh, nurses and other healthcare staff uh, caring for patients out in the community. And we're continuing to provide our services, whether it's home health or palliative care or hospice care. Uh, Our hospice facility remains open, and we're continuing to provide grief counseling as well. So uh, we're doing what we can to maintain safety for individuals and their families out in their homes and out in facilities in the community, uh, but also have to ensure that our staff are are safe as well. Uh, So some of the things that we're doing in in, uh, working with Uh, patients and families in their homes is to uh, ensure that they're continuing to monitor their symptoms. Uh, We're providing guidance on symptom management, uh, when to uh, identify signs of potential uh, COVID-19 illness, uh, and helping them and their caregivers uh, manage the uh, potential risk of exposure, but also Identify uh, when it would be appropriate to work with their physician, uh, work with the healthcare providers uh, to seek uh, testing. Uh, testing is difficult and requires that uh, the physician be involved, and requires that the symptoms are well documented and that the risks are well documented, particularly for vulnerable populations both in uh, long-term care facilities and for aging population in their homes, Uh, so we're working with their health care providers and with the uh, departments of health uh, to make sure that folks who need to be tested are getting tested.
0: So Transitions Life Care, I mean, basically, uh, we, we specialize in serving the vulnerable population that COVID-19 seems to make most at risk, people with serious illness, people with terminal cancer diagnoses, people with heart conditions, people with lung conditions, with people with renal ther- failure, end-stage diabetes, things of that nature. So this must be uh, a time where you find your staff not only, uh, you know, providing the physical care for the individuals, but providing a lot of emotional support for the family members that are very, very worried about their loved ones succumbing from this illness.
4: Absolutely. Uh, It's a very uh, trying time, a lot of fear, anxiety, a lot of stress, uh, fear of the unknown, and that's permeating with our staff as well. And so we're providing that assurance to patients and families we serve as well as to our staff that uh, we are doing everything possible and following the CDC guidelines and North Carolina uh, Department of Health and Human Services guidelines to make sure uh, that they have the information they need and that they are staying safe.
0: So I heard an emergency room physician uh, the other day on, on air talking about, you know, on top of COVID-19, people are still going to have to go to the hospital. People are still going to have heart attacks. People are still going to break bones. People are still going to be in car accidents. There's still going to be, you know, cancers that have to be operated on. Uh, is Transitions Life Care continuing uh, regular operations insofar as uh, continuing to accept new patients on services if, that, if there's a need?
4: Yes, we are accepting uh, new patients in all of our services And uh, we'll continue to do that. Uh, We have, uh, fortunately, through efforts of many in the community, uh, received uh, many donations of protective, personal protective equipment, or PPE, uh, to allow us to continue to go into potential exposure situations and continue to admit patients. Uh, So all of our services uh, are continuing to operate. Uh, and admit patients to care. That would include our, our hospice care, home health, and palliative care as well. And uh, we are we're having to do things a little bit differently. Uh, we want to minimize uh, the risk of exposure. Uh, continue with the social distancing guidelines that we're all operating under. So when we can do a visit telephonically uh, using telehealth, we will do that. And then in, in uh, situations where we have to do essential visits, and then we will definitely uh, send a team in to do uh, essential home care visits. So we're, we're learning and innovating as we go and uh, making sure that we both have the equipment and the technology to continue to see patients in their homes or in the community.
0: And John, will you be able to actually care for patients uh, if they actually do come down with the COVID-19 uh, virus?
4: Yes, we will. We are prepared to uh, care for patients who have confirmed COVID-19 in their home, and we'll work with them in their home and in the uh, with the caregivers as well to make sure that they have the protections that they need.
0: So a lot of phone calls that we've been getting at Transitions, Guiding Lights, uh, have been around, you know, should I continue to keep my community-based care in place? And one of the things that You know, I've been talking to. Family members about has to do with risk benefit analysis. You know, if you don't ha- keep the twenty four seven in home caregivers, for example, that you have for your mom, you know, who's going to be the person that's going to provide those care that, that level of care? Because not having that care in place may create a different crisis. And so, I've been talking a lot to families about you know making sure that they are talking to their service providers about what protocols they're putting into place to make sure their loved ones remain as safe as possible during this time. And I'm assuming you're encouraging folks to do something similar?
4: Yes, absolutely. Uh, We do have uh, protective equipment. Our staff are screened uh, daily uh, to make sure that they are well, that they don't have any signs of symptoms of illness. Uh, Anyone who has any type of illness is not reporting to work uh, so that we uh, will not be exposing Uh, patients and families to uh, potential illness and that's obviously the case uh, ongoing as you mentioned we work with a very sick very vulnerable population all year long and we want to continue uh, in that uh, keeping them safe and uh, avoid any risk of exposure but it's certainly heightened now Uh, where we are using more protective equipment both for our staff and uh, providing protective equipment for patients and caregivers uh, while we're in the home.
2: John, we really appreciate you taking the time to speak with us this evening, and we, we greatly appreciate everything Transitions Life Care is doing for the community, your patients, and your staff as well. We, we uh, can't thank you enough for coming on the show this evening.
4: Well, thank you, Jason, and thank you, Nicole. I very much appreciate everything you're doing to help our vulnerable populations To cope with this pandemic
2: now we will all do our part to to chip in and get through this a quick break and back with more you're listening to aging matters care and comfort that surrounds you a service of transitions life care it's your life your care on news radio 680 wptf
1: This is Aging Matters, care and comfort that surrounds you on News Radio 680 WPTF. 60 minutes devoted to giving you all the information you need when caring for a loved one with Nicole Clagett and Jason Kong. Welcome back to
2: Aging Matters, care and comfort that surrounds you, a service of Transitions Life Care. It's your life, your care on News Radio 680 WPTF. Jason Kong here with. Nicole Cleggett. And, uh, Nicole, I guess we can't really say it enough, but things have just changed so much uh, in the landscape of our our daily lives with COVID-19. And, um, you know, Nicole, I think it's just more important than ever for us to maintain mental health and, and make mm-hmm. sure that we're taking care of ourselves?
0: Well, this is incredibly hard for people. You know, human beings are social animals. I mean, as much as we all say, well, I'm an introvert or I'm an extrovert or whatever, but any period of isolation is just really incredibly hard on mental health. And then with the fact that there's just so much out of our control and then our, all of our routines have been completely flipped on their ears, you know, we have kids home when we're not to or kids who are in daycare and at home or school or, you know, the aging loved ones. We're all concerned about those folks and the number of people, you know, applying for unemployment in this state is just exploding. And so there's just so much going on and it can be just totally incredibly overwhelming. And so um, it's just incredibly important to really do some things for yourself to really help you maintain that sense of control. And I I laugh when I say this, but just even a simple thing of try to create a routine for yourself at home. You know, whether it's just, you know, wake up in the morning, make your bed, you know, actually get out of your pajamas. You know, there's a sort of a joke going on around online about, well, this is, you know, bra sales are going down because no women are even putting on a bra. Now, you know, I'm here in the studio. I do have a bra on. But, you know, these are these are all things, you know, we have to try to remain some sense of normalcy, you know, try not to sit there and binge watch TV 12 hours a day, get outside and take a walk. We have a beautiful weekend this weekend and, you know, really try to get outside and spend some time in nature um, and and really one thing that i think is it's hard not to do because we all have our devices literally in our hands is take a break from the media. Now not our show. <laughs>
4: just kidding. <laughs>
0: but um yeah, but take a break from watching, from reading, from listening to the news stories including social media. I mean, if i look at my news feed on Facebook, every other post is about something to do with COVID-19 and and it just Sometimes you just need to get away from it and just turn it off. Even if you need to turn it off for, you know, 12 hours just to give yourself that mental break.
2: Yeah, I think that's wonderful a wonderful idea Nicole because, you know, we've we've sort of gone through these waves where the 24-hour news cycle was uh, just pumping stuff out literally minute by minute. Mm-hmm. And, and going
0: um, live every second. Yeah,
2: yeah. And uh, at some point, you sort of get acclimated to that and you keep thinking, well, if I don't check, I'm going to miss something. And that's that's not the case. You know, you can take a break. And especially if it's causing you more anxiety than keeping mm-hmm. you informed, then yeah, it's it's definitely time to take a break. But um, Nicole, I think you're, you're exactly right about the mental health aspect. And I know a, a lot of listeners and uh, people here at WPTF and Curtis Media Group have been talking to me about, well, you know, they've got loved ones who are uh, far away and they're worried about mm-hmm. them and making sure that they're not too isolated. But uh, again, it's, it's not the time to go visit them. But hey, you can pick up the phone and call. You mm-hmm. can FaceTime, uh, video chat, whatever. There's plenty of opportunities there.
0: And, you know, another way to reduce your stress and stress in others is really just checking the facts. You know, not every website, not everybody's opinion out there, opinions are opinions, and opinions aren't necessarily rooted in fact, but going to like the CDC website or the North Carolina Department of Human Services website to really actually understand, you know, number one, are you in the at-risk group? Okay, if yes, what does that mean? And what do I need to do about it? And if you're not, what does that mean? And what do I need to do about it? And really just just trying to just focus on the things that we actually have that are known. Um, And and unfortunately, and and, you know, all of our leaders in this country and in this state are are grappling with kind of how to handle this. And so it is sort of changing day by day with restrictions and things of that nature. But just really trying to just stick to just trying to figure out exactly what the facts are, and then how it actually impacts you. You know, I, I often my husband and I sometimes get into conversations about, you know, global issues or nationwide issues. And sometimes just the thought of even trying to contemplate those things are incredibly overwhelming and so brought into every single one of our living rooms now is this COVID-19 virus. And so I'm just trying to focus on every day, trying to do the next right thing and trying to do something that I feel will help somebody else. And it could be something like, you know, sewing those masks that you see a lot of the hospital systems asking for, donating food, you know, volunteering for Meals on Wheels to make some deliveries, even just calling on or calling up some of my older adult friends that I don't often talk to just to see how they're doing. Um, and I will say, you know, they, the shortage of supplies really is an issue. Um, for example, Transitions Life Care, who continues to send their clinicians out into the community, their nurses, their their physicians, their, their aides, um, you know there is just a general shortage of what's known as personal protective equipment out there, and um, they they're actually calling on organizations or individuals who may have things like surgical masks, isolation gowns, goggles, gloves. Um, you know some of those alcohol wipes or hand sanitizer. If folks have those types of things in mass at their homes, you know if you want to donate some of those things, you certainly can do that by emailing PPE supplies at transitions. TransitionsLifeCare.org. That's PPE, supplies at TransitionsLifeCare.org. And they will take donations in any quantity. Because of sort of the the reaction or sometimes the overreaction of some people in in our country, some of these supplies are running low. So we just want to make sure that we continue to have an ample supply to care for the thousands of folks that we serve in the community too.
2: Yeah, that's great advice, and I think just picking one small thing that you can do to help really goes a long way. It sometimes, makes you feel
0: good. It boosts yeah, yourself a little bit.
2: Absolutely, and uh, sometimes we may be overwhelmed, thinking, "Well, I, I want to do these this list of eighteen things." Well, no, just start with one thing. Yep. Get the ball rolling there. Start small, and, and even that will make a big impact. And that what, that email address again, PPE supplies at transitionslifecare.org ppe supplies at transitionslifecare.org Nicole before we head out I want to uh just give you a chance to let everyone know that uh Uh, Transitions Guiding Lights is still going strong, and that if people still need that as a resource, it is completely available to them. We
0: sure are. We are considered one of those essential healthcare organizations. So, regardless of what's going on all around us and the different types of businesses that need to close, Transitions Life Care will be here to serve. All of our staff are working and connecting uh, family members to any resources that they need. We can provide any amount of education and support, and we are a free service uh, for the community. So all folks have to do is just give us a call at 919-371-2062 or they can certainly go to our website at guidinglightsnc.org and connect with us there. But we are still uh, operating and if folks are in need of providing any type of care for their loved one and are needing um, us to connect them with a service provider, we can certainly do that. And we also have a whole host of online resources available to include a listing of all these shows that can help educate folks on how to care for their loved one, because despite what's going on with this virus... Loved ones are still needing care, issues are still coming up. So, we still have the normal stuff of life that's going on while we're all trying to work with COVID 19.
2: Yeah, it's a lot to juggle. That website, again, Guiding Lights NC. is the best way to get a hold of them. We are out of time for today. I want to thank our guests for joining us by the phone this evening. Uh, We really appreciate them accommodating our our social distancing that we're practicing here at WPTF. We are out of time for today, but you can find more information about the show and find replays and past episodes of Aging Matters at WPTF.com. Click on the podcast button. There you'll find Aging Matters and you can view the full archive of episodes there. On behalf of Nicole it. I'm Jason Kong, thanking you for listening to Aging Matters, care and comfort that surrounds you, a service of Transitions Life Care. It's your life, your care on News Radio 680 WPTF. Have a great night.
1: You've been listening to Aging Matters, care and comfort that surrounds you on News Radio 680 WPTF. For more information, log on to transitionslifecare.org.